So um, a couple of things as we get into our message today. First of all, um, it's wonderful to be with you. It's wonderful to see your faces. Wonderful to, to worship and, and lift Jesus up together. That is uh, a joy, and it's refreshing, and it's encouraging. Um, if I appear a little bit tired to you today, it's because I'm a little bit tired. Um, the middle school from Nittany Christian uh, went to Science Olympiad and this last, uh, I don't know if any of you participated in that kind of thing when you were in school. It's a really great event. I mean, these kids are making all kinds of cool stuff and doing tests and projects, and it was really, really cool just to be with them. I, I brought a couple pictures. Uh, this is at Millersville University, and so I drove a carload of kids down there and chased them around like herding cats for, uh, you know, several hours in the day and getting everybody to the different places that they needed to be, and the kids did awesome. They just did a great job and encouraging each other and brought home some medals and stuff like that, and we have a picture of the team that is here. So this is them with some of their projects and things. That was really fun to be a part of. And then uh, my new buddy, uh, Lydia Clark, is here. And uh, I promised her I would put this picture in my PowerPoint today. So if anybody of you knows Lydia or sees her, you can say, he did it. And I may send her a link to this message and say, I told you I would do it. She's my, my new good buddy. So anyway, we had a wonderful time. But it's tiring, you know. I realize, you know, chasing sixth and seventh and eighth graders around, you know, I don't, I'm not as young as I used to be, and if I, uh, I'm not going to fall asleep in the middle of my message. Uh, some of you might fall asleep in the middle of my message, but if I look a little tired, that's why I am. So we've been going through this series, seven critical questions, and we're going to wrap that up today. So the 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 heart of this has been that in the the season of prayer in which we started the year. You know, God's sowing seeds, sowing seeds, sowing seeds. You're praying, you're asking, you're, you're, you're seeking. And, and when you pray, you are sowing seeds. When you are praying for your family, you're sowing seeds. When you're praying for God's clarity and direction, you're sowing seeds, sowing seeds, sowing seeds. And so now, as we're asking these questions, essentially what we're asking is that God would bring to life in his time uh, the, 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 the things that have been sown in prayer. And uh, it's, it is interesting to me because when we started this, I was talking about spring is coming soon, and, and now we've come to the end of this mess of the series seven weeks later, and it's like, spring is coming soon. It's, it's not going to be too much longer, you know, as it's snowing this morning and uh, crazy. Uh, but but that, is, that is true, that the, the seeds will sprout, the life will come, and oftentimes it is those things that were sown long ago, you know, maybe many months before, uh, that now God is bringing to life. So when we talk about things like the Living Waters service that we're doing tonight and encouraging you to come out, come out and be a part of that in the spirit of prayer, in the spirit of saying we are asking God, we are seeking God together, and what better time of the year when we're on the cusp of a missions, missionary visit where we're gonna be challenging all of our church, how are you gonna be on mission? Right, And then we're going to get into the Easter season. If there's not a time that you can be on, on mission uh, in Easter, you know, I don't know when there is, but all of this sort of happening. So we want to encourage you to do that because we want to be a church that is a church that is on mission, that is ministering. We're not just gathering. We're not just kind of fellowshipping and doing stuff, but we are actually making an impact in our world. So in, this, in these last weeks, uh, last, last week, we've been uh, hosting uh, our friends from out of the cold. Many of you guys helping, ministering. That is hands-on ministry. You're caring for some folks that are, that are in need of some care at this time in their life. And we are delighted 
uh, to have them as our guests and to be able to get to know some of them and to hear their stories and, to, and what a wonderful blessing that is to us. But we want to be the kind of church that is looking at our community and saying, saying how do we make a difference? So here's what we've covered in the series. Seven critical questions. We talked about what is our current reality, what is our desired future? Those are the first two. How do we steward our time? How do we steward our energy? Those were the next two. What is the culture that Christ is forming in us? That's a great question when we're thinking about seeds coming to life. What's the culture that Christ is forming in us? Last week, Pastor Aiden was sharing, what are the greatest obstacles before us? And how do, we, how do we deal with that? Great, great messages. So just a couple reflections from this series. First of all, I, I wanna say a special thank you to our staff pastors for sharing in the journey. We had some powerful preaching from our team. I love when I have the opportunity to sit under the teaching uh, of my staff pastors and they do a great job. One of the, the guys, Seth, gets the sort of gold star award because if you remember, I was sick as a dog on a, on a weekend. I came down with a stomach bug or whatever. I was like, I'm out. And so Seth tagged in. And and brought a powerful message. I mean, just a powerful message to bless our church family. So I'm, I'm just grateful for our team. And when you talk to our pastors, all of them, uh, please let them know how much you appreciate the work and the ministry that they do to serve our, our family here. Um, we, uh, we're embracing the process. You know, that was something right from the very beginning when we were talking about Philippians 1.6. I just wanna say I'm glad to be in process. I'm grateful, even in these recent weeks, I've, I sense the Holy Spirit saying, Aaron, you're in process, you're in process, you're in process, you're in process. Church, you're in process, you're in process, you're in process. Philippians 1, 6. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to what? To complete it. That means you are in process. And so as I think about this series and what we've gone through and, and the ways in which even now your lives are unfolding, some ways which we expect, some ways in which we don't, but we're in process. God is with us. Stewarding our time and energy. You know, I was, I was moved by Jeremiah 31, 25, and I've come back to this many times. For I will satisfy the weary soul, and every languishing soul I will replenish. Man, that is an awesome promise. Is there anybody that would say, you know, in the last seven weeks, I've, I've been in need of some replenishing a time or two. Is there anybody with me? I've been there. You know, what an awesome promise to be able to hear the words of Scripture to our heart, the written word of God. Every languishing soul, I will replenish. So today we come to our final question. The final question that we're asking in this series is, what kingdom will you seek? What kingdom will you seek? And there's a Sunday school answer that's real easy, and we could end this message real quick. Uh, Jesus' kingdom, good, let's all go home. But you gotta be a little careful before you answer too quickly, because in many ways, what I wanna sort of look at with you today, the, the, the answer is complicated, and, and our life is complicated, and our culture is complicated, and church is complicated in such a way that when we come to what is actually a very simple question, whose kingdom will you seek? Maybe a, a sub-question would be, how do we maintain Jesus' kingdom perspective? You know, in a world that's angry and divided and hostile and there's just dissension and there's just a lot of unrest, right? There's a lot of unrest. We, we feel a lot of unrest. There's a lot of unrest in the church. So how do we keep a, a kingdom perspective in the midst of all of that? What kingdom will you seek? 
So those of us who have grown up in the church, you've likely learned, and maybe some with some surprise, that Jesus did very little teaching on the church as an institution. Rather, he talked about this coming of a new kingdom. And I've preached this before, and I will preach it again, that Jesus talked about kingdom. Jesus preached about kingdom. Jesus' ministry was pointing to a kingdom. And so for those of us who grow up in a church and we're used to church and church ministry and church politics and church stuff, we may be surprised to find Jesus didn't really talk about church as we know it as much as he talked about kingdom. 126 times in the Gospels, Jesus talked about kingdom. When he was teaching his disciples to pray, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Like, make that a part of how you pray. That's a big, big deal. It was one of, the, one of the top things. When he was preaching his Sermon on the Mount, he says things like, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. When he rebuked the religious leaders of his day, he actually says to them, don't talk about the kingdom of God coming in this way or that way in the ways it can be observed because the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And no, I didn't, I didn't plan to say that because Amy was saying that in the worship, but that's where we started. Worship today is acknowledging the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. It's already here. What kingdom will you seek? What kingdom will you pursue? When he ministered to the oppressed, Jesus actually says, because this, this evoked a response from the religious people of the day, who said, you know, you're, we don't really like what you're doing. And he says, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So Jesus talked about kingdom all the time. So when we asked the question, okay, seven critical questions, our last question, what kingdom are you seeking? What kingdom will you seek? How do we maintain a perspective on Jesus on Jesus' kingdom in the midst of our world. So Reggie McNeil, I quoted him last time I preached on this subject, which was in December of last year. And I shared this quote with you. Let me share it again. He says, the kingdom Jesus taught is the major work of God on planet earth. God is busy in the world, reclaiming territory held captive by a usurping dark kingdom. That is a reference to Colossians chapter 1, which is where we're going to go. So get your Bibles handy. We're going to spend some time uh, there today. He goes on to say, he not only taught a kingdom message, but he lived, a, he lived the kingdom. He healed the sick. He comforted the afflicted. He inspired hope for a better world. He embodied the life that God intends. And that is a phrase that Reggie McNeil uses often, the life as God intends. That is essentially what kingdom boils down to. What kingdom will you seek? I think that today's question may be one of the best ways to keep your church healthy. To keep your church healthy. To keep your walk with Jesus growing and alive. To reach the next generation because frankly the next generation is not wild and moving in the spirit of church as institution. It's just not going to happen. I'm not sure that any generation really did. But the spirit of God moving and pointing us to his kingdom coming and, and being present in that kingdom, that will move the next generation. And so if we're going to see the next generation reach, we've got to understand kingdom. And then finally, how about this? to heal division among God's family. Can we just let that soak for a minute? 
to have a kingdom perspective and to be committed to seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness is a massive step towards seeing a healing in the division among God's family. So let's talk about a couple things. First of all, we see kingdom all throughout scripture as we mentioned. Let me just highlight this again. In Matthew 6, Jesus' longest recorded sermon, Sermon on the Mount, it's all about kingdom, incidentally. And he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus was inviting us into a new way of being when he was teaching us about kingdom. The kingdom way includes new allegiances. The kingdom way includes new loves. It's new guiding values. Tim Keller, who's one of my heroes, he writes this. He says, then hearts and families, relationships, communities, and fields of human culture are healed and rewoven as they are redirected toward the glory of God and come under the authority of Jesus the King through his word and his spirit. So many of you who have committed your heart and your life to Jesus Christ, what happens is when you do that, you come into a place of embracing new allegiances, new loves, new guiding values for your life, and then as things are woven together, as you move for his glory, you actually see a restoration through your life and testimony and witness in your world. That that is a part of the ministry that God does in this new kingdom. So when we receive the finished work of Jesus, many of us have done that. There are, I'm sure, some in this room that was, I've really never done that, or I'm exploring that. When we do that, what are we doing? We are acknowledging that his death and resurrection, which we're going to celebrate in Easter and here just a few weeks, literally transfers us out of darkness and into what Paul writes to the Colossians as the kingdom of God's Son. So this notion of kingdom is very vital. Let's read about that in Colossians chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 9 to 14 with you. And essentially, we're going to use this uh, to springboard us into an understanding of what does this mean to be participants in this kingdom of God's Son. So Paul's writing to the Colossian church, and he says this, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will, through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may be able to live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you might have great endurance and patience, and giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. May God have blessing to the reading of his word this morning. So this message is all about kingdom. And the, the question we're addressing is, okay, so how do we keep Jesus' kingdom on our dashboard? Like, how do we continually reorient ourselves to this calling? Vitally important. And I'm going to talk in the end a, a little bit about just some of the things that happen as we learn to do that, things that you need, things that I need. But let me just note a few things about the kingdom. First of all, um, this top-down kingdom notion. I want to talk about this for a minute. 
One of the fascinating things about the kingdom that Christ has invited us into is the way that it is viewed in culture. And depending on where you stand on the timeline of history or the culture in which you look, it may be viewed very differently. So many people today might criticize your faith in Christ as overly traditional, Somebody might say, oh, you're, so, you're far behind the times. You are uh, hopelessly outdated and repressive. And so this idea of a, of a, a hyper-traditional faith to some would feel very uh, unappealing or they would be very uh, critical of that. Who would want to live in that way? But ironically, in Jesus' day, the Christian faith was actually seen as wildly progressive, uh, maybe dangerously liberal, and a threat to the norms of society. So to, to kind of put this into a little bit of perspective for you, you look at places like Galatians chapter 3, where among that, that really is a, a, quite a bit happening in that passage, but in verse 28, Paul writes this. He says, okay, so there's neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Now imagine this, I mean, in a, in a sort of dogmatically sort of codified culture that a message like this coming out of the gospel, okay, by the way, the cultural understanding of who you are doesn't matter. The cultural understanding of, of gender and the role that you play actually doesn't matter. If you are a slave or a freed person, that actually doesn't matter. Now, he's not saying those things don't exist. He doesn't say gender isn't real. He's not saying that religious affinity isn't real or, or background that you've come from isn't real. But he's saying, actually, all of these things become secondary to the reality of the gospel that we are one in Christ. And the people of the day had to have looked at that and said, this is the most outlandish, liberal craziness that is going to destroy the fabric of our society as we know it. The gospel has a weird way of being viewed. So which is it? Many of us would say, well, I want to be a kingdom person, right? I mean, I, I don't know if I've ever talked to a Christian who has said, I don't want to be a kingdom person. I've talked to people who have said, I don't want to be a kingdom person. But someone who said, I've committed my heart and my life to Jesus. Like, just as a, as a show of hands, if, if you identify as a Christian today and say, I think I would like to identify as a Jesus kingdom person— just raise a hand, be bold. You can't be bold here talking about Jesus in church. I don't know where you could, but. Like, okay, so like almost uh, most of our hands are sort of like, yeah, no, that, that makes sense to me. So if I, if I wanna do that, if I wanna go after that, then I gotta sort of ask the question, so is being a kingdom person a call to traditionalism? Or is it a call to liberalism? Or is it a call to some combination of the two that I haven't maybe figured out the right ratio to uh, yet? Well, authors and pastors like Tim Keller, who I quoted before, they've been telling us for years that the kingdom is not a leftist-looking right, nor is it a rightist-looking left. I don't know if that's a word, but you know what I'm saying. It's a top-down reality. This is something new has come into the world from the outside. And theologically, it absolutely makes sense. Paul talks about a righteousness that is not of your own making. That is what you get in Christ. It's not a better set of rules to follow. It's not, it's, it is a righteousness that you cannot fabricate. It is something, from the, it's something other. It's something that no one can fabricate. 
It's something that if we put all of our collective efforts together and worked really hard to come up with a righteousness of our own making, it would still not be the same thing as the righteousness of Christ that is being brought to us. It is a top-down gospel experience. It is a top-down kingdom. The kingdom of God, with Christ as its king, will challenge and confound every kingdom of this world. That is what you are stepping into when you say, my answer is yes, I want to be a kingdom person. You're stepping into a kingdom that will confound every other kingdom in this world. So that's a top-down kingdom. I wanna talk though, and this is important that we get this, we get this next part well, because if I bugger it up or don't speak it well or don't kind of get it across, then, then the rest of this message is gonna make a whole lot of sense. But I wanna talk about kingdom culture for a second. There is a range of leanings among true kingdom people. Just, there's a range of leanings among true kingdom people. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. Because we have different passions, different callings, different life experiences, etc., we may skew as a kingdom person with a more conservative leaning than another kingdom person. Does that make sense? I, the funny thing is, I, I experienced this in the first service as well. As soon as you say words like conservative or progressive or whatever, people go like, wah, you know, like, stop, abort, run, you know, whatever. Uh, we're gonna talk about that, actually. I just want to try to get this across. There is a range of leanings among true kingdom people because we have different passions, different callings, life experiences. We may skew differently than another kingdom person. So I may find myself in a room with kingdom people. I mean, people who promote Jesus as Lord, they're going after his kingdom. And I may find myself on a more conservative part of the spectrum than other people in the room, right? Incidentally, if you find yourself the most conservative person in every room, that may be an interesting thing to evaluate. Or the most progressive person in every room, that may be an interesting thing to evaluate. But I'm gonna try to just make the, the argument to you that as kingdom people, there are some kingdom-minded people, true kingdom people that are more conservative than I am or maybe lean a little more progressive than I am. And I think there's a reason for this. We're not automatonic robots building the kingdom of God. Like God actually calls unique people with different passions and different personalities, all this stuff, and he puts us together in a way, and what we don't do is just simply become little robots that all look alike, all walk the same, all speak in the same cadence, all have the same gifts, all do the same thing, and then we're just kind of worker bees in the kingdom of God. He doesn't actually do that. He pulls us together in a, in a sort of beautiful tapestry but I've been in ministry long enough. I mean, I've been your pastor for 10 years at this church. I've been here longer than, than many of you, but, but I've been in ministry long enough to know that we are people with different personalities and different passions and different perspectives. Somebody say amen so I know that I'm speaking the truth. I mean, it just is, is, is part of 
this thing called church and life and ministry or whatever. True kingdom people that may sway a little bit differently on that road. Now I say true kingdom people because we see in scripture that it is possible to think that you are a true kingdom person, a Jesus kingdom person, when in reality you're just building your own kingdom, right? So this is where it actually gets a little complicated, is that you've got true kingdom people who don't always think alike, and then you have people who may think that they are kingdom people who would have answered already to this question, yes, I will be a Jesus kingdom person, I will keep that perspective, whatever. but in reality, they don't even know him. In reality, they're just kind of building their own kingdom or using him to justify their own position or whatever, right? So, so there's that in the mix, and then it even gets a little bit more interesting because it is also true that there are non-kingdom forms of some of these leanings that overtly deny the kingdom that Jesus is bringing or, and or, overtly promote their own kingdom of self or country or philosophy or you, you name it. There's probably hundreds of examples. So here's what, here's what I'm trying to say. When we talk about kingdom culture, we're talking about true believers in Christ who are going after him who are not all gonna think, think the same. Vitally important that we understand that because if we don't get that, the rest of the message really doesn't make any sense. But in the mix, we also understand that sometimes we think we're a kingdom person, we might not be. So we gotta get true with the gospel or we may see non-kingdom forms people that are overtly promoting their own kingdom, self, country, philosophy, or whatever. Now, okay, so we all, well, good. I feel like I need a breath. <laughs> all right. Let me talk about these, these kingdoms for just a second, these, these lesser things. We talk about people that would overtly kind of promote the kingdom of self, Right? I mean, you can't go anywhere, read anything, watch anything or whatever without the kingdom of self being in your face, right? You gotta be you, do you, identity politics. I mean, there's just any number of examples of things where like the, 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 the truest form of life and expression is, is right here. I gotta be true to me or whatever. The reason that you know that you're building a kingdom that is not the Jesus kingdom is that the Jesus kingdom always dismantles our idols, right? So I mean, this one is, is, it's so easy to see in a way, but every one of us deals with the idol of self on one level or another. And yet what does Jesus say to come into his kingdom? He actually says, well, this is what a disciple looks like. It's someone who's gonna deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow me. I mean, it's this, it is this, incredibly abrasive, incredibly audacious sort of claim to say you need to actually die to self to really discover what self is supposed to be. And so the kingdom and following Jesus in his kingdom has this sort of like horrible death road to it. He says, no, that's actually the way I want you to do it. I want you to die to self. No, 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 Jesus, you don't understand. I mean, listen, if anybody had the right to be upset at culture and, and be angry and all that kind of stuff is Jesus, but Jesus just kind of said, no, look, you're missing, you're missing out on life because you are self-absorbed. And you actually will find life when you let it go. Some of you have lived this story or living the story right now. 
almost all of us, if we're serious about having become a, a Christ follower, would say, Jesus asked me to die to self in maybe more ways than I can count. And a process of becoming Christ-like is learning what it is to die to self. So like this, this kingdom of self, it, it's a false kingdom. It's, it's not a kingdom-seeking place. But, but let, me, let me pick on another group for a second so just all the selfish people can get a break. Um, <laughs> when, I, when I said a few minutes ago, you know, there are non-kingdom forms that deny the kingdom of Jesus overtly promote their own kingdom self. I mentioned country philosophy, and I said there could be a lot of things. Like, I want you to think about country for a second. Anything that is sort of like a nationalism sort of way of being. In Isaiah chapter 52, there is a passage of scripture that really impacted me as I was preparing this message. Isaiah 52, this is a passage that's in verse 7 where it says, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. You remember that? And some of you grew up in the church singing the song. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who bring good, and people are like, I don't know, not following this. Our God reigns. That's okay. Anyway, that's the song. Thank you. So Isaiah 52, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Do you know what was happening in the history of God's people when Isaiah writes this beautiful poem describing the reign of God? They were obliterated. Nationally, militarily, the temple has been burned down there in captivity to Babylon. And so in this humbled state where they have no military, they've got nothing of which they would be able to say, look at our God and how great he is because of how powerful we are in this moment. There were times in Israel's history they would be able to say that, not in Isaiah 52. But the lovely person that comes with beautiful feet and good news in pronouncing, your God reigns has nothing to do with their national power at the time. So we see this kind of like, so again, it just, we'll just pick on everybody a little bit today, but like the kingdom of Jesus doesn't reinforce our idols. It actually demolishes them. So the idol of self, the idol of country, the idol of power, the idol of all these things, Jesus is like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta be willing to give those up in order to pursue my kingdom. That's kind of crazy. There's a lot of other examples we could look at with that, but I, I want to keep going on. I, I do want to talk about counterfeit kingdoms for a moment. Okay, so we live in this, in this polarized world, and it seems like in recent history especially, there's just this pulling and this pulling and this pulling, and the farther you get to the polar edges, the more you see just this ramped up anger, ramped up fear, just the, there's just this constant thing, it's just pulling and pulling and pulling. We live in a polarized world. We've seen an increase in division and a pulling apart from what we call sort of the, the political or social left and right. And, and I, I want to I acknowledge that with us because again, if we're going to be kingdom people and the kingdom is top down, 
And we're living in a world that's being pulled apart left to right. And of course that affects us in the church, right? And of course, of course that affects us in our world and our family. I actually, I don't know if it's, if, it's, if it's fair game, but if you tell me a story, I might just share it in the next service. Somebody came up and they told me that they, they're part of a family. She said, we have, we have three boys, we have three girls. We're all over the spectrum where it comes to like politics and, and worldview and stuff like that. So we're getting a family picture and, the, and the, the photographer says, I want you to line up left to right. And they said, do you mean politically? You know, but that's, that's the world we live in, right? I mean, at least they're able to laugh about it and, and have a good time. It's not always the case. You know, people are not always able to, people are angry. People are throwing rocks. I, I, I wanna just acknowledge a couple things. I'm not gonna tell you anything that you don't know. Number one, one of the challenges that we deal with in these competing counterfeit kingdoms is that there is an echo chamber of ideas and non-religious people, non-faith people would say, yeah, there's a social media reality that is creating camps of militant like-mindedness. That's a part of the world that we live in. Competing kingdoms, power, who's right, who's wrong, who is my enemy, an echo chamber of ideas. So that's a part of the world that you live in, and if you're gonna say yes to being a kingdom person, you have to say yes to being a kingdom person in that world. You know, the world doesn't just get clean and easy and better, but you have to think about how now you're going to respond in that world. Here's another one. I'm just going to entitle it Discipleship by Cable News. You know, last service there was an audible like, and then this service, an audible kind of, do that one more time. Yeah, that's what I thought you said. Discipleship by cable news. And I'm not picking on the right and I'm not picking on the left when I say this. I'm saying a part of our cultural reality right now in our worldly kingdom mentality is we've got this sort of news feed 24-7 that is well-spoken talking heads who will endorse your position, right or left, and will decry your enemies relentlessly. That's what I'm talking about when I say discipleship by cable news. And it doesn't matter what position you take. You can find a place that feels really right at home that will tell you, you are right. You are not crazy. They are wrong. They are crazy. Rinse and repeat and rinse and repeat and rinse and repeat. And frankly, there's something in the human condition. We love to be right. Man, we love to be right. I love to be right. That's why I'm saying right things to you right now. <laughs> I love to be right. There was, a, there was a study done a few years ago that kind of caught my attention. They were, they were analyzing different food combinations and the food combinations that would become the most essentially addictive, but to say like, what would make you eat it and say, I have to have more of that. You know what I mean? And so they're looking at the balance of fat content, salt, and sugar the trifecta, right? Everybody's favorite. And so they're looking at these like, in this balance and in this kind of thing, do you, do you wanna take a stab at what, uh, there was a tie for the number one food that you eat it and it makes you say, oh, I just wanna have a little bit more of that. I don't care if I'm hungry. You wanna take a guess? Pizza, Oreos was one of them. And Doritos was the other one. They tied for first place. So that's why your kid gets into the bag of Doritos and is eating. It's like, what are you, you eating the whole bag of Doritos? Are you even hungry? And they're like, that doesn't even register. I don't even care if I'm hungry. I just want to eat more of this addictive food. It feels great. 
to eat. I'm not endorsing that, Mrs. Meredith. I'm not endorsing that. Just want to be clear. She's my, she'll tell me afterwards. Don't eat Doritos and Oreos. That's all things in moderation. Okay, I've said it. So here's this thing. There is something addictively reassuring in the message. If the message is, you're not crazy, you're not wrong, they are crazy, they are wrong, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. And there is something about ingesting that and ingesting that and ingesting that and ingesting that, and then we see our world just just pulled apart. And here's the thing I'm gonna suggest to you today, is that when we ask the hard question, it used to be an easy question, just 20 minutes ago it was an easy question, now it's a hard question. Whose kingdom do you want to build? The answer to that, if it is the kingdom of Christ, and if by God's grace we learn what it is to keep him in the front of our view, we actually get a solution to all of this and so many other issues, so many other challenges. Jesus said, when asked about his kingdom, my kingdom is not of this world. And I think he meant it. I think he meant it. So in a church that can feel, you know, we can start to feel pulled and every issue becomes a divisive issue and everything becomes a misunderstanding and why did he say that and what did they mean and et cetera, et cetera. And we go back and forth and back and forth. Do you know a great litmus test? You know that you are tracking with Jesus' kingdom because he calls us to lay down our idols and to love our enemies. So I know you know that. And I know I've heard that before, but just dream with me for a moment. What kind of impact does it have in a divisive and divided world when kingdom people are actually stepping forward to say, you know what, I'm dealing with my own idols and I am laying down my idols and guess what? I'm loving my enemies instead of trying to skewer them. What I referenced before, if, if anybody had an excuse to be angry and frustrated at the world in which they lived, it was Jesus, and yet he doesn't spend all his time angry. He doesn't spend all his time trying to be right and make his case and to beat up and all of that kind of stuff. Yes, he was angry at times, but he's known for being the person of love. And I wonder what it would look like as kingdom people if we were known more for our love than what we are decrying. I am not going to suggest to you, I'm gonna give you just two examples in a second, but let, let me, I'm not gonna to suggest to you this is simple, but I am gonna ask you to be intentional about it. Because what happens when we actually say yes to this last question and say, I, I really do, I really do want to be a kingdom person. I wanna be in the lines of focusing on Christ's kingdom with him as Lord. I think there's a handful of things that happen. Let me share a couple with you. Number one, is it just a, I believe this with all my heart. I'm just going to share it with you. The more you focus on Jesus and his kingdom, the more he will diffuse your anger. Some of us are angry, and I'm not suggesting you don't have right to be angry or reason to be angry. But none of us want to be angry. 
Like, I don't talk to people who say, I mean, maybe you do. Man, that's weird. You don't talk to, we'll, we'll, we'll set up special counseling for you if your official position is, I like being angry. I like being fearful and I like being angry. If that's your physical position, we'll talk to you. We'll pray, pray that out of you after the service. Most people don't want to be angry. But many of us are dealing with anger. We're frustrated. The more we focus on Jesus' kingdom, I believe he will diffuse our anger. The more we focus on Jesus' kingdom, I believe he will dilute our fear. It's fascinating to me that in this series, we didn't really plan it this way, but fear came up a lot. The subject of fear came up a lot. We live in a world with a lot of fear. It's driving a lot of things. It's interesting that Jesus, when we talked about him and his kingdom, Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Do you know what he's talking about at that point in the Sermon on the Mount? Do not worry, which is part of fear, right? It's fascinating because he actually says, he says, don't worry about what you're wearing, don't worry about what you're eating, and, and then he says, the pagans run after these things. Don't be like a pagan, you're running after all of these things. And so you're, you're driven by fear to need these things and want these things, and then he says this, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. You're in good hands. He knows. He's okay. You don't have to be driven by fear. And the more we look to the kingdom and the more we commit ourselves to the kingdom, I believe the Lord will dilute our fear. I got a couple other ones for you if you're hanging in there so far. Unless, unless all of you are saying, I actually want to stay angry and fearful. Okay, I'm going to move on then. We focus on Jesus' kingdom and it actually promotes real godly unity. And here's a promise. It invites the blessing of God. Like, just think about this for a minute. For your family, for your work, for your church experience, for your relationships or whatever, Psalm 133 tells us how blessed it is when we dwell together in unity. And then he talks about the oil on Aaron's beard, and I don't have a giant beard to share with you today, but like the oil of Aaron's beard, it's like the dew of Mount Hermon, Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing. How many of you want to be in a part of a church where it's say, like, the Lord is bestowing his blessing here? I do. <laughs> Some of you are like, I, I think the answer is, yeah. Of course you do. Of course I do. So we focus on Jesus' kingdom. We, we see a, a real godly unity that invites the blessing of God. We, we see another thing that happens, too. It, it promotes humility, the more you focus on the kingdom of Christ, the more you're, you're kind of forced into a humble place where you're not the center of your own universe anymore. And it actually creates a humility in you that it's quite beautiful, and, and we're glad for it once it's there. It's just hard to get there. It promotes humility. And then finally, we focus on Jesus' kingdom. I'm certain of this. We have a healthier church. We just do. We have a healthier church. I wanna give you two just real practical examples of this, just like conversations that I've been having with people in the last months or whatever. And so I'll just give you like, so what, what are we talking about? If we can go back to this idea that as kingdom, true kingdom people, we don't always see eye to eye, we have different perspectives and everything else. That is true. We believe that to be true. 
And if we can say, okay, outside of those lines, there are uh, examples of things that are clearly not kingdom-focused, here's where I think we can make some commitments together to do better in this area of keeping Jesus' kingdom first. I'll give you a practical example. Number one, somebody says, I have a passion for racial justice, and there's injustice in our world, and I think we, we need to talk about that. Right? That's a kingdom person. That's a sister in Christ saying this to me. It's not somebody way out in left field where this is someone, a kingdom person saying, I've got some, some justice concerns. Can we talk about this sort of thing? I have two choices as a fellow kingdom person. I can say, you talk about race, I hear socialism, I hear neo-Marxism, I hear all of these things that are way out over here. We're not gonna talk about that, we're not gonna go there. I can also do this. You talk about race, I think you're calling me a racist, you're talking about the problem of me being white, et cetera, that we're gonna go all the way over here, we're not gonna, we're not gonna talk about that. That'd be one example. Or I could say, as a true sister in Christ, who's a kingdom builder. How can we work together to have a more just world? It's a kingdom response, and we might not agree. She may have opinions that I don't share, but this is where we actually can be brother and sister in Christ. We can actually fall under the umbrella of being kingdom people. I'll give you another quick example. Uh, people have asked uh, fairly recently, uh, what about flags in the sanctuary? Is that a yes or a no? Well, here's how we could respond. I could ask that, look at that question, I could say, you know what, uh, I, I feel like y you wanting to have a flag in the sanctuary that makes you uh, idolatrous and, and you're, you're building into things and, and, and all that kind of stuff, or someone else could look at that and say, you know what, if you don't have a flag in the sanctuary, you're anti-American, you're anti-country, you're anti-patriotic and all that stuff, and now we're, we're crossing threads that way. Or, I could listen to somebody who has said to me, I don't wanna worship the flag. I am reminded when I see the flag of freedoms that I have, and I'm grateful for those freedoms. I don't need the flag to come to Jesus, but I am reminded of how grateful I am. You know, as a kingdom person, I can receive that. You may agree, you may disagree, you may have a different opinion, but again, this is where, as kingdom people, we can go after things together. Here's the, here's the challenge. This is why I'm sharing these examples. Can we challenge each other's assumption without attacking one another's character? I think, see, what happens is this. Here, here's the thesis of the message, and then I promise I'm gonna stop talking. Some of you are like, amen, stop talking soon. The thesis of the message is this. In situations like that, I have the choice as to whether or not I want to paint my kingdom brother or sister with the same brush as the vilest comparison outside the kingdom. Do you understand what I'm saying? And when I do that, they say, well, justice is important to me, and I say, well, you're a neo-Marxist. Well, the flag's important to me. Well, you're, 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 all, you're, you're an idolater. You come over here. And I'm painting them with the same brush as someone who's outside the kingdom instead of saying, I don't need to attack someone's character even if we do challenge one another's assumptions. 
at times. I think that's what it looks like when we're focused on the kingdom. And then the other thing that happens that I think is beautiful, I'll close with this. Worship team, you can come up. That's how you know I'm serious about closing. Worship team can come up. Um, All of those other things, self and country and flags and important discussions on race or justice or whatever, all of those things now take on a life that is undergirded by the kingdom of God. You see, now all of these things, they're in, their, they're in their proper place. Now we can actually do something. You know, now we can actually be productive together because we are committed kingdom people. That's my heart. I have thought about this message over the last month knowing that uh, I'm not going to be able to deliver it perfectly to you. But I hope that you hear in my delivery today that there is a heart of love that wants to see kingdom people embracing their call. And if we can agree on that, I think we can be in a good place together. So in that spirit, would you stand? Would you let me pray for you? We're coming to the end of this series. And... Um, I would love to just say a prayer over you, then we're gonna, we're gonna worship, we're gonna invite the, the help and the, the work of the Lord. I have loved, we've had some sweet times of just prayer and, and meeting the Lord at the altar, and it might be that, that today, you've got some stuff that you say, yeah, I need to take this to the altar. You know, I just need to take this to the Lord. So I'm gonna invite you. Father, we thank you. Uh, we are, we're grateful that you have called us to be kingdom people. Not one of us has figured out how to do this perfectly yet. And so we look to you, Jesus, and we say, would you help us? Would you help us? You are the king. Would you help us to follow you well as kingdom people? And I just, I sense in my spirit that there's probably somebody who's here who would say, you know what, I just, I'm feeling this tenderness that's the word that was on my heart I'm feeling tender like sore like when you kind of have that bruised area and every time I talk with my family or every time I talk with my roommates or every time it's just this this tenderness kind of springs up and so I just want to bring that to the Lord I I just need some healing in what has been a just tumultuous season of division some others that maybe need some relational healing I suspect that there might be somebody who we've, we've kind of flirted around with it, maybe joked around about it, but I'm, but I'm very serious to say, if you are dealing with an angry heart, Jesus is not afraid of that. To say, I don't want to have an angry heart. I don't want division in my world to continue to suck the joy out of my life. So I'm going to bring that to the Lord. And it might be that today you just say, God, I just want to be more focused as a kingdom person. Just, I just renew my commitment to you. I am a kingdom man. I am a kingdom woman. I am a kingdom person. Help me to do that well. So Holy Spirit, would you fall? Would you fill? Would you help? Would you lead? We love you. We're grateful for you. We're grateful for your kingdom that is not of this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.